Good morning, church family. Uh, as, as Pastor Doug mentioned, um, this is going to be my last Sunday to serve as preaching pastor, lead pastor for this church. Uh, by God's grace, I've had an opportunity for eight and a half years, most Sundays, to get to stand up here and do what we say that we love to do as a church. Open up the scriptures and see what God has to say. You don't need my opinion. After Doug's comedy routine, you're like, we don't need Doug's opinion. Uh, what we need is God's word. What we need is God's truth in our lives. And so that's why we like to take books of the Bible like this and uh, thinking back over the different books of the Bible we've covered. We've done Daniel. We've done Hebrews. We've done Mark. We've done Gospel of John. We've done Leviticus. We've done, yeah. Uh, Rabbi Matt's here visiting. How did you escape from getting to preach one of the Leviticus sermons? If Matt was up here, he would say, in a sense, because of all of our conversations, he preached all the Leviticus sermons kind of through me vicariously. So. But uh, I have really loved serving this church. It's no secret that um, the last few years with COVID and other challenges have just been really uh, kind of weary on my soul. And last year, God making it clear to my wife and I that I needed a season where I, I wasn't serving as a pastor and, and having that extra burden and care of ministry. Um, I can say wholeheartedly, I still deeply love Jesus not walking away from my faith. I, I would still, if all I, if all I could do was just stand up here and preach the Bible, I would do that, but that's not what a pastor is. A pastor does more than that. And uh, I, need, I need this season for myself and for my family. And actually, through this time, you know, just kind of looking back on, and reflecting on the start of this church, you know, my family moved to the Seattle area in 2011 for what was going to be one year of education and learning how to plant a church. I got an education, for sure, uh, especially in 2014, God calling us to plant this church. And um, when we launched out this church, there was just very little, like, plan. There was not, like, some big architectural plan. It was just kind of like, man, we want to keep together, worshiping Jesus, loving Jesus. And um, I also knew back then, and I, I told guys like Doug, who's up here, or Dale Kamink, our treasurer on our board, been there since the beginning, Dale. And, uh, I said, you know, I... I'm not, God didn't wire me to be the kind of guy that like pastors the same church for 30 years and then retires and gets a gold watch. Like, I don't even really like gold watches. I, uh, I kind of am wired to do different things and new things. And so I kind of thought maybe I'd stick around for about 10 years. And uh, it's been eight and a half years. Um, in COVID years, it's been 37 years. And uh, the timing is right. It is sad. Um, but it's also necessary. And I have been so incredibly blessed by all the love and the support I've received. And I'll share a little bit more at this afternoon's lunch because at the end of the day, you've heard me say it. If you've been around any length of time, you've heard me say it. This is not about me. This is not about any leader. And in fact, this session, this time, this gathering is not about you. This is about our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's the one that we need to connect with now. And so uh, for one more time, let me open up the word of the Lord. Let me teach you from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 with a sermon that I've just lovingly titled, uh, Wake Up, Sleepyhead. Will you pray with me? God, we need your grace in our lives every single day. Lord, we, uh, we confess that on our own we grow weary, we grow tired, we get numb, and we get sleepy. And so, Lord, you are the God of life. You are the God of creation life, and, and, and through Jesus, you are also the God of resurrection life. And so I ask that, God, you would send your Holy Spirit to bring our hearts to life right now. I thank you that uh, on our good days and our bad days, we can open this, the, the written word, 
that doesn't change like our circumstances or our feelings do. But Lord, in the pages of here, this written word, we can encounter the incarnate word, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Lord, would you guide my words and guard my speech? Help me to only teach that which is in line with your word and give us all hearts that are alive and awake to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. There's a verse in Proverbs chapter four. It says, the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn shining brighter and brighter until midday. I want to ask a question. Show of hands. Don't be bashful. How many of you here would say, yeah, I am a morning person? Raise your hand. The percentage is less at the 11 o'clock service than it was at the 9. The 9 o'clock, people are like, I'm awake. I'm awake. Let's go. What are we doing? We're going to church. Let's go. They're the super Christians. You 11 amers. How many of you would say, I'm not so much of a morning person? Raise your hand. Oh, yeah, my people. My people. I do not wake up easily. I, do, yeah, I don't need amens that loud, Aaron Lynn, okay? My wife wakes up in the morning kind of like, uh, like out of the corner of my eye, it looks like a vampire rising out of a coffin, just kind of like floats off and she's reading her Bible and unloading the dishwasher and she's just, oh, and, like, and I'm like, I kind of, I kind of wake up um, like a surgery patient. Like I'm just, where am I and who's touching me and what's happening? And I kind of crawl downstairs like Lieutenant Dan from Forrest Gump and I'm just, you know, cup of coffee and I'm grouchy and I'm like, who wants to read the Bible yet? I got to wait till about 10.30 in the morning before I'm ready to be challenged with conviction or anything like that. So the, this, this metaphor, this picture here, whether you're a morning person or not a morning person, the Bible often uses this imagery of morning and of light and of waking up to describe what it's like to have right relationship with God. That, that uh, we even talk about like in the old time religion sort of way, like I saw the light, that, that becoming a Christian, getting saved, coming to faith in Jesus is like someone waking you up in the best possible way. So all of you non-morning people, you gotta go with me on this, right? It's a good thing to be awakened. But actually there's more than just the initial I saw the light sort of moment. What is this proverb pointing us to? It says the path of the righteous, the the life that we walk out is like the light of dawn that just keeps shining brighter and brighter and brighter until the midday. That it's not just I saw the light and I got saved. It's that God wants to invite us to continually wake up more and more and more and walk more and more and more in his light. And that's what we're going to see today in this passage in 1 Thessalonians 5. And the big idea that I want to impress upon us today is that salvation is not just a forgiveness of sin. By the way, salvation is forgiveness of sin. For that, we are all very grateful. Amen? But it's more than that. It's this invitation to live our lives fully awake, fully alert, fully alive with the God who loves us. Salvation is not just a get-out-of-hell-free card. It is a live life in the light with the God who loves you, okay? So let's look at 1 Thessalonians 5. Here's how Paul and and Silas and Timothy, his co-authors, begin. Actually, I should say here's how they continue from what we were talking about last week. Now, concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. Uh, Last week, we discussed the return of Jesus, the end of the age, that kind of pivot from scene five into scene six, the, the final glory when Jesus returns. And we're still kind of talking about that. And I just love that once again, we've seen this like three or four different times 
where Paul says, I, there's no need for me to write anything to you, and then he still just writes to them. That's funny to me, uh, because he's, he's using an encouragement technique, but he's also using it to reinforce the teaching that he gave to them when he planted the church. Verse 2, for you yourselves are fully aware, fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. By the way, I received exactly zero emails this week saying, wow, you really said that you don't believe in the rapture. Y'all are either being really nice to me on my way out the door or Pastor John turned off my email address early. I don't know what's going on here, but this idea of the day of the Lord, one singular return of Jesus, not kind of a two-stage rapture sort of thing. I put my, I put my case out there last week. I'm not going to re-preach that, but I do think that last week's rapture verse being read in light of the day of the Lord is worth considering. But the point to focus on right here and now is the fact that it will be a surprise. Verse three, people will be saying, there's peace and security It's kind of a dig at the Roman Empire, the Pax Romana. There's peace, there's security. And sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. This idea of a sudden childbirth. Now, in God's providence, my my baby brother happens to be visiting this week, visiting from New Hampshire by way of Alaska. Yeah, yeah, you can, that's him. We don't look related, but trust me, we are. Uh, my brother, I- I've talked to you before about how I was a bad Alaskan. He's a good Alaskan. I didn't like hunting and fishing. He excels at those things. He's bigger than me. He's stronger than me. He's more manly than me. And to top it all off, when it came time for the birth of his fourth child, they didn't even, you didn't even like make it into the car, right? Like your, your wife went, in, don't tell her, I've got the mic. You be quiet. So the, <laughs> what? You, you didn't even make it in the car, right? She beat the paramedics. Yeah. So you had to deliver your own child. That makes me feel even less manly, okay? It was such a sudden thing. It was such a quick thing. The child just came, baby came. She's actually downstairs in the kids' ministry right now. Thanks be to God. So this idea, though, of the return of Jesus, it's going to be that surprising, that sudden. And it's going to come in a season of peace and security. It, It recalls to mind what Jesus said in places like, like Luke chapter 17 or Matthew chapter 21, where, where Jesus says at the end of the age, people will be eating and drinking. They're going to be having banquets. They'll be marrying and giving in marriage. Life's going to, they're going to be starting families. They're going to be opening bank accounts. It says there's going to be business and planting and harvest. Sometimes when we have this picture of the end of the age and the return of Jesus, we think of something like a scene from that show, The Walking Dead, where it's like a zombie apocalypse, when reality, the Bible tells us it's just going to be business as usual. We talked about this last week, and I reiterate it here because it's in this passage, it's in this text, that you know, things like even COVID or the war in Ukraine or economic instability, all of those things, Jesus said, are the normal things that we should expect in life in a fallen world. And that actually, when Jesus returns, it will be this dramatic element, this dramatic moment of surprise I've been reading a book that one of our members gifted to me, a book called Resilient, which is just talking about how to fortify our... Is Melinda here? I don't see Melinda here this morning. Dave and Melinda Jolly. She gave me this book by John Eldridge. I haven't read anything from him in quite some time, but this book has been really encouraging. And he just says, folks, there is no zombie apocalypse. Everything Jesus said about his sudden return to this planet assumes the element of surprise. 
Life is going to look and feel like business as usual until the moment the archangel blows the trumpet and God himself steps in to sweep away evil and start the joy. How many of you long for that day? Lord, hasten that day, we pray. Now, here's where we're going with this. Paul and his co-authors, Silas and Timothy, are saying, it's just going to be life as usual, and people are going to just be kind of doing their go-through-the-motion sort of a thing, and it's easy to kind of get numbed out and just walk day in and day out in darkness. Listen to what they say, verse 4. But you, brothers and sisters, you are not in that darkness, and that day is not going to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or the darkness. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, well, they do that at night. And those who get drunk, they also do that at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. We've got some early armor of God stuff here. This is an early letter. Paul adds some more pieces by the time he gets to Ephesians. We've also got a faith, hope, and love here. We're going to unpack that more in a minute. For right now, though, I want you to focus on this core idea of being awake versus being asleep. Now, for those of you who were here last week and we were talking about this metaphor of asleep, the passage we looked at last week, when Paul said those who have fallen asleep, what did he mean last week? Dead, like all the way fully dead, buried in the ground. Last week, they were answering this question of what about those people who die before Jesus returns? Are they going to miss out on the end of the you know, world party? And Paul and Silas say, no, absolutely not. They're, even though they're asleep, they're still alive. But this passage is like a play on words. The apostle Paul is kind of using that same idea to broaden it out. He's, he's talking about not those who are physically, literally dead in the ground, but he's talking about those who are living like dead people. How many of you know there is a way to be alive, but not truly alive? How many of you know that we can sleepwalk through this life? He's talking about dead men and women walking around. Even though they look awake, they're actually asleep. Verse 9, but God has not destined us for wrath, but our destiny is to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? That one who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, now he's back to alive or dead language, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another with these words and build one another up as you're already doing. Friends, our destiny... For those of you who have heard this message of the gospel, for those of you who have believed in Jesus, it is through his death, it is through his resurrection that we are made alive again with God. This is good news, friends. It's not through our own efforts. It's not through our own striving. It is not through our good deeds. It is through the perfect work of Jesus Christ, the one who lived more fully alive than anyone has ever lived. He was alive to the mission that his father gave him. He was awake and alive to the leading of the Holy Spirit throughout his entire life. He was alive to the needs of the people. And even as he went to that cross to die for us, he rejected the numbness 
bitterness of the sour wine that he might taste of the cup of the wrath of God so that you and I would never have to. And on the third day, he rose from the grave and that tomb is empty and he is not some dead religious founder, but he is the savior and the God of resurrection who offers to share all of that life, that eternal life with any one of us who would believe. Thanks be to God. This is the good news of the gospel, friends. And even, I love that Paul is referencing the words of Jesus himself. Whether we're awake or asleep, we might live with him. Jesus said it in John's gospel that even though someone would die, if they have trusted in him, yet shall they live. And Jesus says on that last day, I will raise them up. We serve a God of not only creation life, but resurrection life. Amen? And that's what this salvation is about. I go back to my big idea that I said earlier. Salvation is not just merely having your sins forgiven. It is that, but it is this invitation to wake up and live an alive, alert, awake life with the God who loves you. And friends, that's a lot better. It's not just, oh, you're forgiven. Now go on an island and don't bother me. It's you're forgiven Let me show you how to enjoy this whole life, this world that I've created, the people I've created with him. And so from this foundation, I want to make three observations, three pastoral observations. And the first one is this. It is really easy to numbly sleepwalk through life. Can I get an amen from anyone, like, a, like an amen of ouch or repentance on that? See, in this language, in this, pa- in this passage, Paul's using this language of darkness and nighttime, but he's also using the language of drunkenness. To be drunk is to be numb. It's to be fuzzed out. It's to be slow. It's to be not alert. It's to be not reactive, not sharp. It's why driving a vehicle under the influence of alcohol is so incredibly dangerous because you have no reaction time. Paul is using this as an imagery, as a metaphor for those who are numbly sleepwalking and stumbling through life. Now, I do want to say that in numerous places, The Bible actually speaks positively about alcohol. I even might go so far as to say it even speaks positively about the numbing effects of alcohol. 1 Timothy 5, Paul writes to the co-author, Timothy, of this letter, and he tells Timothy, you need to use a little wine because of your stomach issues. Now, Paul graciously does not go on to describe what those stomach issues are, and all of y'all should learn from Paul. Don't talk about your stomach issues with other people, but... The idea of like this medicinal usage of wine to have kind of a numbing agent, it's a health sort of a thing. That's a good thing. Proverbs 31. Some of y'all skip the verse and just go straight to the Proverbs 31 woman at the end of the chapter, but at the beginning of Proverbs 31, the author Lemuel says, give wine to the one who is perishing and strong drink to the one who is dying. Let them drink and forget their pain. Speaking of like, it's it's a hospice care verse. It's like letting someone have something that would help numb that pain of the end of life. There's a good and a right God-honoring sort of way to use the substances of this earth in a way that don't numb us out the same way. But actually, the most positive view of wine is in Psalm 104, which is this. God gave wine to make the hearts of men glad. How many of you know that God is the one 
who came up with and gives every single pleasure under the sun. It breaks my heart when people think of Christians or the church or even God himself as being anti-pleasure, anti-fun, anti-joy, because who is it that came up with pleasure and delight? Who is it, friends? It's not a trick question. God, this is like the Sunday school answer, God, right? Aren't you glad that not everything tastes like tofu? Aren't you glad that red curry exists? Aren't you glad that not everything sounds like a white noise machine, but there's a cello and there's a violin and there's an electric guitar? And don't you, aren't you glad that there's, there's the sound of waves crashing? I guess you can get a white noise machine that sounds like waves crashing, but they're just copying God. Aren't you glad that this life is filled with delight and pleasure and joy? Come on, folks. God created pleasure to show us what he is like. The psalmist says, at his right hand are pleasures forever. And God created those pleasures so that we would be glued to him. Oh, God. This this treat, this glass of wine, this beautiful symphony, a sunset. God, you're amazing. And there's this delight and there's this joy that's meant to be experienced in the presence of God. The problem is we live in a broken and fallen world and we ourselves have been infected with the poison of sin. Show of hands, how many of you know that this world has a lot of pains and a lot of hardships in it? And so we reach for pain relief. I want pain relief. It could be alcohol. Could be sex. Could be television. Could be food. Could be TikTok. It could be buying shoes on the internet. So many things in life that we reach for as a pleasure, as a, as a joy to just help us numb the pain of this broken, messed up, screwed up, fallen world. But instead of letting that pleasure catapult us into the arms of the God who loves us, we just, we just terminate on the pleasure itself. And in fact, so many of us, we just keep going back to the pleasure itself, the pleasure, the pleasure, the pleasure, the pleasure. And before too long, we realize that we're in a prison of our own making. And the tragic, tragic irony is that the same pleasures that we turn to to numb the pain also numb us to the love of God. We want to be numb to the hurts, but we actually get numb to the love of God. This is what it means to be drunk at night. And friends, if I could be so bold, I would just say in our world, it is easier than ever to be drunk, numb, asleep, maybe literally drunk. I mean, you have, I get advertisements now for a, like multiple delivery services that will just deliver whiskey to my door. And one person who's a therapist telling me it's like an alcoholic's dream come true. I can be drunk, order more alcohol, and never have to leave my house. But it might be some other thing, not alcohol or drugs or something like that. It could just be Netflix. The the apps that we use every day have literally hacked the brain chemistry 
They figured out how to keep us coming back for more and more and more and more. So we're numbing the pain with Instagram stories. And at the same time, we're numbing ourselves to the love of the God who made us. The good news is, friends, that Jesus came to wake us up. Now again, you non-morning people need to go with me on this. When Jesus wakes us up, it's a beautiful thing. It's a joyful thing. When Jesus wakes us up, it's not like my dad waking me up when I was a teenager. You think I'm hard to wake up now? When I was 17 years old, I was not ever going to wake up. It was just, I was going to be Snow White. I was going to sleep there, or Sleeping Beauty, whichever. I don't know. I can't keep them straight. My dad, I hope you're listening to this podcast, dad. I love you. My, my dad, his favorite thing to do to us when we were growing up is to walk into the room and loudly read verses from Proverbs about the sluggard. <laughs> A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a bandit. Get up, we leave for school in 10 minutes. Like, that was so many mornings of our doggone dad waking us up. Love you, dad. Jesus is kinder, more gracious. Hey, wake up. There's love for you. There's a world of joy to experience. There's a life with your God to experience. Wake up. How many of you are thankful that Jesus came and he woke you up? How many of you are grateful? How many of you can say, there's more waking up that I need in my life? Anybody here? Which is, the second point I want to make is this. Living sober is active work. Living sober is active work. Now, this, to kind of continue on this drunken, sober sort of metaphor that Paul is using here, when some of you, particularly those of you who maybe have not had to walk through a pathway to sobriety or, or a, you know, an AA plan or 12-step plan, something like that, when you think of sobriety, very many of us often think of just not doing the bad thing. Being sober means I'm not drinking. But anyone, anyone who has ever had to walk any sort of 12-step plan or pathway to sobriety will tell you it is a lot more work than that. I read a book last year uh, by an author named Seth Haynes. The book is called The Book of Waking Up. I would highly commend this book to you, no matter what you're dealing with in your life. He writes about his own addiction to alcohol and the pathway that he had to walk to becoming awake to God's love. One of the best books I've read like in the last decade. Highly recommend it. Seth Haynes, The Book of Waking Up. And in it, he says, the opposite of drunkenness is not just not drinking, The opposite of drunkenness, true sobriety, is being awake to the divine love of God and the world around you. This is what Paul and and Silas and Timothy are saying here. Back in verse 6, they say, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. Jumping down to verse 8, it says, since we belong to the day, again, let us be sober, having, look at this active language, Put on the breastplate or the armor of faith and love. And for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Now, again, this is like the, uh, the armor of God starter kit, right? There's going to be some shoes later, a shield, a sword. Get to Ephesians, you get, the, you get the full armor outfit. It's like when you're playing Zelda. You don't get everything all at once, right? But what, I don't know, I fixed that. Where's John influenced me? He made me say Zelda. Anyways, 
But look at this active language. Like you have to put on faith. You have to put on love. You have to put on the hope of salvation. Okay, what does it mean to put on faith? Again, there's, a, there's an entire additional sermon just in this verse alone. But just think with me for a moment. Having faith means trusting that God is who he says he is. The promises he has made are true on your good days and on your bad days. How many of you have ever felt like, God, I don't know what is going on. Do you love me? This is a safe place. Show of hands. How many of you ever wondered, man, does God really love me? Am I, is my salvation really secure? Is everything going to be okay? Well, there's a place for us where we can come to God with those questions, with those fears, with those doubts, and say, Lord, I am choosing to put on faith. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to actively cultivate an attitude, an attribute, a heart, a mind that says, I trust you, God. What about love? Have any of you ever had one of those days where you just don't feel very loving? Any of you having one of those days today? Sometimes our love grows cold. Some of you parents know this. You love your children. You love your children. Some days you love them a little more intentionally, okay? The feelings maybe are, oh, I just love, you're so cute, you're so precious. You're like, you are driving me up the wall right now, but I choose to love you. I choose to serve you. I choose to care about you because you're mine and I I delight in you. Living a sober, awake, active life is this putting on of love, practicing love when the feelings come and go, saying I'm still going to move towards the other. I'm going to still move towards God in a loving sort of way. And for a helmet, the hope of salvation Friends, it is so easy to lose hope. Amen? It is so easy to be filled with darkness and despair, all of the brokenness of the world. But friends, for us, we have a hope of salvation. No matter what brokenness is happening in the world right now, we have a future that is incredibly bright because one day the Lord Jesus will return and we will exist with him in glory forever and ever. And that should give us hope. Amen? And on the days when I don't feel like it, living awake, living alive, living alert, living sober means I'm going to practice these things. Heart, I know that you're wavering and you're full of doubts today. Let's, let's practice faith in the Lord Jesus. Heart, I know that you're not feeling very loving today. Let's practice loving God and loving others. Heart, mind, there's all sorts of things to be anxious. Let's practice having the hope of our future salvation. Which leads me to the third thought. Living, living sober. It's easy to sleepwalk through life. Living sober is really, really hard, active work. And number three, we really need each other as we walk through this life. Look what they say, the, the last verse of this section here, verse 11. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. How many of you have ever had someone in your life who has been able to help you feel that encouragement when you've been hopeless or loveless? Anybody here thankful for someone in your life? Here's maybe a slightly 
more difficult question. How many of you have ever had someone in your life who has had to kind of encourage you and build you up when you were numbed out and falling asleep? Sometimes that doesn't feel as pleasant, does it? I remember having a phone conversation with a dear friend of mine, and I was confessing some sin and just working through some stuff, and, and, he, and I, said, I said something to the effect of, you know, I just, I, I won't even tell you what I said. I just said that I, the what I said was kind of prideful. It was like a prideful approach to my sin. And this brother said some sharp things to me in that phone conversation. But God used it to get me out of my sleepy slumberness, my dead man walking drunkenness. We need, whenever, you know, somebody like Pastor Doug gets up here and, and does the invitation to community and get involved and all these sorts of things, it's because of passages like this that talk about how much we need each other in our lives. Last year, we uh, had this, this team from the church, the renewal team, work on re-articulating our mission and our values as a church. And one of the values we came up with was the idea of growing together. Not just togetherness, because togetherness by itself, you know what togetherness by itself is? It's a click. Togetherness by itself is a, it's a comfort. It's a, it's a, in the old church days when I was growing up, we used to call it a holy huddle. Us four and no more. This building one another up can be really challenging. The idea is not just that we're together, it's that we're growing together, becoming more wholehearted followers of Jesus, helping each other wake up to the places where we're numb or asleep or drunk in our own spirits and souls. Now, I'm, do not raise your hands on this. I'm not asking for you to raise your hand. But some of you have had someone who has tried to help you and maybe they did it in a less than gracious way. Maybe they tried to say something to you to challenge you and it just hurts. Some of you actually have wounds and hurts from other believers or the, the church, whatever it may be. And I don't want to diminish those in any way, shape, or form. Those hurts are real and I'm, I know that our, our God and our Father, his heart breaks for you with that. But just because someone misused a tool doesn't mean that the tool itself is invalid. And what if God actually wants the body of Christ, the church, to be the place of your healing from hurts and wounds that you had from the church. We have to grow together. We have to wake each other up. We have to look at people sometimes and say, hey, what you're doing, you're a child of the light. And what you're doing right now is living like a child of darkness. That's not who you are. That's not who God saved you to be. Maybe a little less finger wagging. Hey, stop doing bad things. That's not the right kind of sobriety. The the right kind of sobriety is that's not who you are. That's not why Christ died for you. Turn from that. Repent of that. Change that. Because you're a child of the light. I'm going to close with a thought. It is both personal and and pastoral, and I hope and I pray that it lasts for a long time after me. Um, In my life, 
I don't wake up easily, but once I get going, I get going. I've had my first church that I ever was a pastor of, there was an older pastor who just, he never called me anything other than the Energizer Bunny. That was all he called me. Some of you know I have a lot of energy. I've got a lot of zip. I've got a lot of passion. I've got a lot of fire. And for the last eight and a half years, I have wanted to pour out that energy and that passion and that fire for the sake of a church community that exists in the very sleepy suburbs. It's really easy for people in our neck of the woods to live for what got added to Netflix. When do we get to go to our lake house? Ooh, pumpkin spice is back. All good things. But that becomes what life is. And... um, About nine years ago, I felt like God asked me to use all of my energy and spunk and whatever else I've got to help inject some life into a church community that could make an impact in this part of the world. And it would feel really loving to me and fill my heart with great joy as your brother in Christ to know that even after my family steps out of this role and steps into a new season, it'd be really I would, be, I would fall asleep with a smile on my face to know that there are still some people in this church community looking each other in the eye and grabbing each other by the shoulders and saying, hey, wake up! Because there's a lot of sleepy people out there that need to know that Christ died for them and God loves them. And I'm not going to be the one leading into that next season, but I sure as heck would love it if you guys could keep doing that. That's a personal request. So let me close with two questions. And these are for reflection right now and for the whole rest of this week. Are you awake? Where do you need to wake up? How awake are you? What are those little pockets and corners of your heart that just, man, you're, you're falling asleep. You're numb. You're drunk. You're sleepwalking through life. Where are those pains that you need to take to God and say, I need to bring these to you and not numb out so I can still experience your divine love for me. How awake are you? And second, is there somebody in your life that God wants to use you to help wake them up? That friend, that loved one, that family member, that coworker, they're just asleep. They're sleepwalking through life. God wants to use you to help wake them up. Will you pray with me? Lord, I thank you for this church community. Lord, you've planted this church in a a very prosperous part of the world. And Lord, this passage just feels so incredibly relevant to all of us. It is so easy to be asleep. It is so easy to be numb. But Lord, you created us to be alive with you and you have recreated us through the death and resurrection of Jesus to be alive with you. So I pray for each one of us, for all who are disciples of Jesus, for all who are followers of Jesus, would you continually wake us up? And Lord, would you use us every day on mission to bring the message of being awake to any and all who would hear it?
Lord, I pray a blessing over Sound City. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to serve with this church for almost a decade. And I pray for the season to come that there would be a hundred times more fruit. Because Jesus, you are alive and awake within us. We want to praise you and honor you in Jesus' name. Amen.